I want to go to Ephesians 6. I just did a series. Um, I'm going to continue when I get back to my church. I haven't preached in the last two weeks. My wife got to preach last week and made me look real bad, so I need to come back. And, uh, and, and But I've been preaching this series on I Declare War because there's some things that we need to declare war on in our lives because a lot of times we sit on our hands thinking that God's going to do it for us, but if we don't show up, God won't show out. And we have to understand that we play a part in this battle, in this cosmic war for our souls. And so I really went into the second part. This is only the second time I've ever preached this. I have, you know, been able to travel. And I, you know, James would know you have preaching sermons. You have travel sermons. This is a, I just preached this at my church sermon. And God broke the place. And I feel like God just, when the moment he said, I need you to do another one at Sunday night, another sermon, I said, I know what God wants to do. And he's going to do something so special in your lives tonight. We're going to start in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 12 says it like this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Uh, we, we may have heard the scripture before, but you got to understand you can't win a battle you can't properly diagnose. You can't win a battle if you think it's against your husband or your wife. You, you can't win a battle if you think it's about you proving your critics wrong. That's not the battle at hand. The battle at hand is bigger than that. It is something that you can't even see. It's one that's waged in eternity, but we don't even realize it in current time because we don't understand how how crazy that this fight is, that we have to now fight other humans, and we blame it on flesh and blood, and we'll, we'll fight against ourselves, but we don't understand that the enemy is getting after every single one of us in a certain way. So I want to understand, first off, before I go any further, we are all in a fight. Now, now you may not feel it, but you're in it. You may feel it more at times and less at times, but throughout your entirety of your humanity, the devil does not want you to succeed when it comes to overcoming anything that you face. He wants you to hold on to your chains, keep your bondages. Why don't you just hang on to those strongholds? You'll be okay because you can sit in a pew, but still have an issue. And God really wants to say, no, 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 start to understand what you're fighting. Because if you understand what you're fighting, you can understand how to win. And so now we journey on because I had, I had this week when I was writing this sermon, which was just a, two weeks ago. I had this week where sometimes, I don't know if this happens to you, Jay, but, but like I, I write sermons and I'll go like, I'll think about it all week and I'll write it on a Friday. There's some sermons that I have to live out before I can ever write it out. This was one of those for me. It was one of the most difficult weeks for me to have like just a calm moment. I don't know if you had these moments in those weeks where your mind just won't stop. Like it's just going and it's just running. For me, I could not, I was, I was insecure about stuff. I was like getting down about, I was discouraged. Silent killer. Discouragement will kill you when nobody even knows that you're dealing with it and it'll get you down. And I was dealing with all this stuff I didn't even understand. I didn't even have my sermon until Saturday night. I have to preach Sunday morning. We got people showing up expecting for the man of God to hear from God and he's going to deliver a word. I'm like, I ain't got nothing for you. But God, I realized in the moment, he walked me through a battle in my mind for six days so that I could show up 
and realize one of the greatest battles we fight is with our own thinking. It's with how we approach our thought life. And I started to realize this, and I was like, you know what, Romans 12 too, all day. That we need to start to understand and apply Romans 12 too, which says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Notice, not changing the way you talk or walk. Changing the way you think. Not changing the way you praise, but changing the way you think. Because I think sometimes we'll get ahead of ourselves. And we'll change what we think we need to change to get what we think we need. But in fact, God brings it back in Romans 12 too. He says that you need to change the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is pleasing. Leave this scripture right here because there's a rhythm to the scripture right here. But let God transform you into a new person. How many want to be a new person? Every day you got to be a new I need God to save me daily. That's what it actually means in the Bible. Salvation, I don't need to just be saved once. I need daily saving. I'm a messed up dude. So, so, so now, I need, I want, okay, I want to be, how do, how do I become a new creation in Christ? And I, I, you can hear a preacher be passionate about it you can hear someone yell it to you can but how do you do change the way you think wait no that this got to be more complicated than that I need a greater revelation than that it's got to be doctrinally I don't understand then wait I need to know God's will for me how do I know God's will for me change the way you think how can I stand out in culture and help impact culture is by not becoming and copying the behaviors and customs of this culture but how do I do that change the way you think It's amazing to me that we have so much faith in our bones, but we have such toxic patterns in our minds. That we would rather overhaul our faith as if we need more faith when the only faith amount you needed was a mustard seed sized faith. But you believe for it, but you can't even think that God can do it. You don't think he's going to do it for you because you've never won anything. You're always going to be a loser. You're always going to. And your thinking pattern has determined that no matter what you do, have faith. or nah, I, got, I believe God. I don't believe. I'll worship. I don't, it doesn't matter when you walk out of these doors. You will succumb to the person that who you think in your mind is who you really are. And now we struggle with this because we come to church and we hear inspiring messages. And I I told my church this. I said, stop bringing your bodies to church. Start bringing your minds to church. (laughs) Because so often we just want God to do stuff in here, in the heart. But man, does he need to renew our mindset. Oh, oh, if if we put our minds on display on these screens, you would never come back to this church because we deal with the battlefield of our mind. So I'm just going to talk for the next few moments. Write down this. I told, I told you the title of it today, so it may be anticlimactic, but I'm going to tell you again, and you should be just ex- excited about it. Take back your mind. <laughs> just tell somebody, take back your mind right now. Just tell. Jesus, help. Amen. And, and you, you got to understand that your mind controls who you are, and where you end up, your mind. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of this person. She's uh, her name's Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's brilliant. And, and and for me, I always study people that are way smarter than me in certain areas. She is like a, I can't even say her title. Like a neuro 
brain Scientologist. I don't know what she is. So anyways, Scientologist would be the incorrect term. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. We're so glad you're at church today. And, uh, but she's a believer, but she's spent her whole life studying the brain. So her background is not in theology. It's in science of how the brain works. And she studied the brain her whole life. And now she brings the brain to the Bible instead of being the, bringing the Bible to the brain. So she thinks of it really, really cool. I, I'm going to reference her a couple times, but, but check this out. She had this statement. She says this, your mind is the most powerful thing in the universe after God. And she studied the, the mind her whole life. Isn't that incredible? Because we, we exalt God and we love God. That's why we're here tonight. God is all powerful. God is amazing. God is everything, right? But we don't think of our minds as that important. We think of, well, God, everything. He's awesome, but our minds are like, God, please just do something about it because it's messed up thinking up here. You need to start to pay attention to one of the most powerful things that you have in your possession, and that's your thinking. Can I, I'm, not, I'm not a neuro person at all, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm a self-proclaimed preacher. And I, so I'll say it like this. Whatever gets your mind gets you. Whatever gets your mind will get you. And whatever you allow in your mind, you start to believe, don't you? And if I could just break this down, basically everybody, we, we would say, I am a child of God. Yes, you are. Praise God for you, daughter. Yeah, you're a son and you're loved. That's the truth of it. The problem is that a lot of people know the truth, but they don't believe it for themselves. So you can know from a distance that you're a daughter or a son of the living God. But you may not live it out because you live to the level that you think, not to what God thinks. Because I know, I know you want to be who God said you are. The only way you can become who God said you are. And says you are, especially in this word, because he calls you a lot of things. You're an overcomer. You are a conqueror. You, you are more than enough. He have everything in your possession. You're above or not to be. You're in the hand of others. All that kind of fun stuff. If you want to be all of that stuff, it's not believing more, trying harder, pushing more. It's believing in your mind that if God said that I'm that person, I am that person. If the I am said it, then I am that person. And the hardest thing is to, now I'm going to break that down of why we can't fully accept it or why we don't even fully live in this. Because a lot of times the moment something starts happening in our lives, we do something called complaining. Hey, that's, a, that's an ugly word. Complaining. You remember, you remember the Israelites, right? When, when they got delivered, you ever, you ever watched Prince of Egypt? And he said, let my people go. And, and then Pharaoh was like, sure, let them go. And he's like, no, I changed my mind. Bring them back. And, and what happened was the, the frogs came. I hate frogs. Frogs everywhere. And all these plagues started happening. And Moses was like, fine, I got them. We did all the plagues. And then the Israelites leave Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh's like, no, I changed my mind again. Let's go get them. And now what happens is, is the Israelites escape. And they make it to this thing which preachers love to preach called the Red Sea, right? And they're standing there at the Red Sea, and they look behind them, and there's their friend Pharaoh, and the entire Egyptian army is bearing down on them. 
What a situation to be in. That, that you're facing a body of water that's not going to move or change its original shape because you just can't do it on your own and you're going to die. Sweet Jesus, this is good news. But, but, but here's what's so cool. The Israelites, I'm reading Exodus and I'm like, they should be praise breaking right now because they just saw God work on their behalf. Like immediately, they just saw God work. This wasn't like 17 years past and they forgot. You know, like this was like, hey, this was just maybe a few days ago. You saw what God did. He didn't just do one plague either. He didn't just give one confirmation either. He did after day after day, consistent, consistent, showed up, showed up, broke through, broke through. And now the first thing, because I'm waiting for the Israelites to shout, he's going to do it. We're going to see a miracle like we've never seen. And all of a sudden, here's what I read. And it said, and the Israelites complained. Because they were facing something they couldn't change. And what was bearing down on them was a past that they had a choice to either go back to or embrace. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. You can't change what's in front of you, but what's behind you is going to give you another option and the ability to possibly go back because it's going to present itself again and whatever you do not kill will give you another opportunity to engage with. And, and, and now you're stuck. Have you ever been stuck? Because it's like, okay, God's got to do it or they're going to kill me. Like, this is where I'm at. And here's what's happened. The Israelites say this. They say it to Moses and to God. They say, hey, weren't there graves back in Egypt? Now we're out here in the desert. We can't even be buried in the, least we could have been buried. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's be friends. You know, like super positive people. Are you kidding? There's no, there's no graves in the desert. You're going to start complaining about going back to being enslaved. And this is what's so important because we romanticize our past and demonize our present. Because you will start to romanticize the moments. See, you forgot waking up hungover and you only remembered that very small, just eensy, teensy, tiny little part where you had a temporary happiness, but you forgot the depression. And we, we, we romanticize going back, and it causes us to do something so toxic, and we complain. And we start complaining instead of thanking God that he's going to come through. God's going to do I wish they would have just walked around and started stomping around. Because here's the deal. Complaining would not change the state of that water. Anxiety doesn't change the body of water. Depression's not going to split the Red Sea. You can worry about it all you want. And I've realized this. It's hard to worship when you're riddled with worry. And now they're stuck and they complain. And here's what we got to understand. This is now happening in the body of Christ. That we'll come to church to get an overhaul and become a new person. And we walk out in the next breath. We still have a tear. We're still wiping tears off of our eyes. We take a step out and we complain. Scientifically, I'm going to go back and forth. I'm going to talk back and forth between biblically and scientifically. Scientifically, it says people complain once every 90 seconds in a conversation. Imagine how repetitive that becomes. Because now you have no more energy 
to believe God for great things because we're complaining about what he's not doing or what's not happening in your life. And, and now we're getting stuck when we believe God. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he, if he did it before, he's going to do it again. Come on, elevation, play it again. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. Praise God. You know, I, I remember I was in a band called Worth Dying For. And, uh, and this, this band, it was, it was great. It was, we, we, we signed a re- major record label and we got to travel the world. It was awesome, right? And, and I was young 20s and, 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 and Jade, we, we start a band, man. And uh, we, we need to get back together. And we're, we, we were too old though. But we, we, we had this band. We traveled all over the world. I remember we were in a bus together. And we had this conversation, and my sister was in the band too, and there was five of us, and we were just talking. We, we, you know, there's one thing. You just spend every day together, and you're just like, I love you, but I don't. <laughs> and I remember we had this conversation. We're like, okay. It was in the morning. We're like, guys, we were all so worn out. Every one of us would complain about everything with every breath we had, it was like rolling off our tongues. It was so easy. So what we said, we said, if we hear anybody complain, we're going to take a rubber band, we're going to pull it back, and we can pop you wherever we want. <laughs> I was popping people on the forehead. You know what I'm saying? It was the quietest 10 minutes. Nobody talked. Because we consciously took control of our lives. Because so many times we unconsciously live, but we want our faith to fix what we will not realize is messed up. We want, we want God to do what we won't admit is wrong with our systems and our thinking, and we just want him to be a genie on our behalf. But what if we consciously grabbed a hold of our minds and started to say, I can't think like this anymore. I need to turn this complaint into a thank you, into gratitude, into saying I shouldn't be here in the first place. Because doesn't complaining start small? Because it, it, it can start with the weather, but it'll end with your wife. And I've realized if you complain in small things, you will complain in all things. Because just like faith is a seed and, and your dreams are every promise is a seed, well, the enemy works that way too. Complaining is a seed that you put in your soil and you don't know how one day you're complaining about the very thing you prayed for. You prayed for it. Single people, you're praying right now to get married. And married people, you're right, you're praying to get single again. <laughs> but, <laughs> and we want to switch spots. Because we often answer our own prayers in our prayers. We pray to God, God, I need, you're my sustainer, you're my everything, give me a mate. And we end it with an ultimatum. And we start to complain about what God's not doing. God never intended the body of Christ to live in such a manner where you would only see what he is not doing. Because maybe it's on purpose that he's not doing that. 
And when you only notice what he's not doing, you will never realize the greatness of what he is doing. He's doing so much for you. He's doing so much through you. It's better than you think it is. He's building something great in you. He's building a home that will be able to sustain the test of time. He's going to build you in your singleness so you can be healthy in your marriage. He's building you. Just, just, to, just to go back to, to, to some scientific part, complaining rewires your brain. Can I read you something real quick? That complaining rewires your brain. When you repeat a behavior such as complaining, your neurons branch out to each other to ease the flow of information. This makes it much easier to repeat that behavior in the future. So easy, in fact, that you might not even realize you're doing it. Scientists describe this process as neurons that fire together, wire together. Are you, so, because I read that, let me explain this. What's happening is, the more you make a decision, it says anything, I know it says it was referring to complaining, but any decision, when you doubt repetitively, what happens is neurons fire, and you start to believe it's what we do. But it's not what you do, it's what you've built over time, over years. You've allowed your neurons to keep firing in such a manner for a particular situation. And so you, when, when you want to have a belief in a situation and for some reason your doubt keeps overriding it, it's because your doubt has a green light because your neurons fired in such a manner that you allowed 10 years ago when you had doubt then and God didn't come through then and what happened 10 years ago is relevant in 2019. So when it fires, you can't stop it. Then you just think it's who you are. And what happens is your brain is rewired. And you can praise God but still be stuck in a pattern. And you want freedom. And sometimes as pastors, I'm really bad at this. I always, I always just kind of throw it in because I get in the preaching rod. I just get over it. And we just get shouting, get over it. You can't get over something that your neurons have fired for the last 20 years for. And they fired over and over and over again, unless you become conscious about it. I'll, I'll go even further. Research from Stanford University has shown that complaining shrinks the hippocampus. I've wanted to say that word all night. Someone say hippocampus. I, I just, I don't know what it means, but it's awesome. The hippocampus, it explains what it means. It's an area of the brain that's critical to problem solving and intelligent thought. So let me, let me say it. Let, God, help me say it. So, so complaining makes you dumb and dumber. Neurologically. Not, not be like, biblically? No. But my God says, I know he says it, but you keep thinking that way. You know what I'm saying? And the more you complain, it takes away from intelligent thought. And have you ever seen this, that people will complain themselves right out of church because they had no real reason? Because complaining stripped them of an intelligent, logical thinking pattern. To be able to have a conversation with somebody that's already acquired negativity 
is so difficult to get across to them. And it's so difficult for me and, and Pastor Jabin as, as pastors and preachers to try to get through to the body of Christ in 35 minutes because you're sitting here with 30 years of patterns and systems. And if we don't start paying attention to our brains, we're going to end up in a place where we know God is real, but we don't even know what he's doing on our behalf. And we're, we're frustrated and we're depressed and we're down and we have a revival night and then God broke the chains and I'm dancing. But all it took was a disagreement on a Monday night for you to think I'm just broken again. This is what it is. Dr. Caroline Leaf says it beautifully like this. As we think, and I have this excerpt so you can throw it up here. As we think we can change the physical nature of our brain. We consciously direct our thinking as we consciously direct our. We can wire out patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. You can leave this up there. Here's what that means. I know that you'll be like, that's just Dr. Caroline Leaf saying that. This is theological. This is doctrinal. This is biblical. This is scientific as well. You can change the patterns of your mind. That God can start to refresh your mind. If you want to consciously declare war on the thoughts of your mind, you can win back your mind. Because right when doubt fires again, you say, not anymore. Not today. I will not succumb to negative thinking. I will be somebody that believes in positivity. How about joy? I need peace in my life. You can start to rewire. This is great news. You can rewire. And I'm going to give you three things real quick to win back your mind. These last 10 minutes, I'm going to give you three ways to win back your mind. Are you ready? Are you with me? You still here? Three ways. To, and then we're, it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. We're at a party tonight in Vegas. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. How to win back your mind. Number one, I'm having fun. Number one, reset it. Reset it. Uh, I'll say it like this. Reset your mindset. Reset your mindset. So reset. Anybody ever play Nintendo 64? I'm going to date myself. Yeah. Hey, when... when <laughs> I used to play Mario Kart and GoldenEye. I had all of them, right? And then my parents were like super Christian. They're like, turn the blood off on GoldenEye. I'm like, whatever. So thank you. Thank you. Church kids. <sighs> Golly, man. <laughs> Slappers only. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> only if you play GoldenEye do you understand what that all that stuff is. So, so, so what happens, you remember in these days, nowadays, I mean, like you got things that just work and PS10s, I don't know. But, but back in the day, it was, it was a cartridge. It, it wasn't no disc. It wasn't no chip. This thing was like, you could throw it against the wall and it's still good. But do you ever remember when it stopped, when it was, you know, kind of malfunctioning? You would pull that game out. <laughs> it was the most genius. <laughs> and you pop it back in, and it's still like three screens. You're like, what in the world? And if you didn't get it, if that didn't get it, you just reset it. And you turn the power what? On and off and on. We had no system 
We, had, we, we were so bad at trying to fix games that it came down to blowing on it and turning it on and off. That was our critical thinking in the 90s. That was it. And this is what I started to understand. I remember when I was playing a game and it wasn't working and all I had to do was reset. And I'm like, isn't that funny that all I had to do was press reset on something and it gave me a new try. And it started the game over. I feel like it's a lot like our minds because our minds will, will glitch out in moments. And it'll just, random thoughts will come in. And things that we never took a hold of will revisit us and it'll just come in. And if we gotta, we gotta understand, if we don't start pressing reset, we will be stuck in a glitch, in a dysfunction, in a pattern, in a system, in a sin. We will get stuck doing the same thing over and over again, thinking that it's just going to come to life. And we're just doing it over and over again. And we, we live this way. But here's, here's what it says in Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So what is it saying? It's asking us where... Did we set our minds? Currently, where are our minds set? Mindset, you can put the word together, I get it, it's your mindset. But where is your mind set? Is it on things above? Is it on godly things? Is it on the things that are, are lovely, pure, true, good, gracious? Is it on that? Is it that I sin, but my God's grace is greater? Is it on that? Or is it on earthly things here below? Hear what happens to us. Can I just ask you, where did you set your mind last? Where did you leave your mind? Did you set your mind in the seventh grade classroom where your teacher failed you and you walked out of that classroom thinking that you were a failure and here you are at 42 still dealing with the understanding that anything I do, I may be a failure. Where did you set your mind? Did you set it back in that room in college when you got broken up with and you thought your life was always going to be filled with rejection because you can't live up to people's standards? Where did you set your mind? Did you set your mind back in that bad church circumstance where that pastor this that church that, and now you can't enjoy a healthy church in the moment because you set your mind. Where did you set your mindset? Wherever you left your mindset, that's the spiritual age you're functioning at. Because I remember when I was eight years old, my dad was a great football player. He's like, yeah, let's play football. And I'm like, I'm, I'm all in, let's play. And I remember... I was four practices in. I was only four practices in. And I went to my dad. I said, Dad, I want to quit. I'm out. <laughs> Get me out of here. He said, you can quit once you're done with the season. I said, that don't make sense. <laughs> stop, stop, stop talking preacher to an eight-year-old. He said, complete it first, then we'll talk. I said, okay. So I completed it. I was eight years old. I ended up getting a football scholarship to college to play. It's amazing that I could have set my mind as an eight-year-old to quit. And it could have trained my neurons in my brain that quitting was okay. 
So why does it become an option? Why is divorce an option after years of standing together? Because you start to revisit moments where quitting was okay. And you never stood up. You never raised a banner up against it. You never put a prayer on it. You you just let it become who you are. So the moment something that reminds you of the place that you came from as an 8-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old, you automatically revisit it because it's how our brains work. And here we are trying to go. Go after God while the enemy's reminding us of where we set our mind. Don't raise your hands. You'll never be free. You always have those chains. You're always going to be bound. And we start to think these things, and oftentimes we blame the devil for things that we think. When it's not the devil's fault at all, you allowed the thought to fester. You've allowed it to have life. And the thought has breath. And you can't even identify it as not a part of who you are anymore, it should not be you. If there's any negative thought that you come down and you're critical against yourself, that's not you. If you have a failure mentality, that is not who you're called to be. For you do not have a spirit of fear or failure. Or you got to understand when the spirit of God comes in, it is not okay with you thinking second about yourself. And need you to understand that you're a conqueror and you're an overcomer, but we got to start to retrain our minds. So wherever you set your mind, reset it. Reset it in the hands of God. Reset it in the heart of God. Reset it in the presence of God. You can't have a reset mind with a once a week worship service. You got to reset it every day. When somebody says something to you that reminds you of your past, you have to press reset and say, I'm not that anymore. I'm not going to respond like that. I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to go there, be that, do that. That's not who I am. I'm different. I got a minute and a half to do two more points. Number two, catch and release it. So first you reset it, catch and release it. Number two, there's a rule in Texas about catching and releasing rodents. And and here's what's so crazy. I I grew up in California. I don't know anything about rodents. And, and there was, there was we, we put this, we had a skunk problem in our backyard. Yeah, check that out, skunk problem. And, and what happened was we put a trap back there. And I woke up the next day, and in the cage, there wasn't a skunk. There was a possum. That's not cute. It's disgusting. There's a possum in that cage. But there's a rule in Texas where you, if you catch it, you have to release it. So, so, <laughs> my wife's already laughing at me. So, so my wife wasn't going to release it. My three-year-old wasn't going to release it. Your boy had to release it. So I got that. I didn't even know where to release it. So I, I got it, and, and I threw it in the, in the bed of my truck. I was freaking out. I'm screaming. I threw it in the bed of my truck. I drove to the local park where kids play. <laughs> I'm not even messing around. I opened the cage. I let the possum go in some bushes by the park. But you got to understand, I was shaking, and I was letting it go, and I released it, and it ran off. I sprinted back to my truck, closed the door, drove home, and went to my wife saying, I'm a man. I'm a man. And, and what's so amazing 
is that I couldn't release it unless I first caught it. it that there's got to be an understanding. We're trying to release our minds to God, but you're releasing something that you've never taken time to identify, diagnose, or catch. When's the last time you caught that bad thought and said, I can't have this anymore. I can't think lustful anymore. God, take it out. I can't think doubtful. I can't think fearful. I am not riddled with anxiety. I, can't, I, I got it. You cannot release what you never caught. You can't, you, you can't get, I'm just like, I'm giving it all to God. That's great, but you're giving what to God? My whole mind. No, specific. If you're going to pray specific, catch specific. Oh, we pray so much more specific than we actually go after our negative thoughts. We let those float and fester. But I want to read 2 Corinthians to you. The weapons that we fight are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds in this context means fortress, strong walls, and prisons. So it's demolishing something that is built up in your mind. Something incredible that has you bound. You can demolish it. We demolish arguments and every pretension set that sets itself against the knowledge of God. Check it out. And we take captive every. Someone say every. Not some thoughts, not the easy thoughts. You got to take captive. It's time to declare war on every single thought that comes in your mind. And captive in that context, in the original Greek word, it actually means to control, to conquer, and to bring into submission. And I've realized the thoughts that you don't bring into submission, you will be brought into submission to them. Because it's time to catch every thought and give it back. Because we have been caught and incarcerated in our thinking. And it's too long, church. Now here's my last point. Number three, to win the battle of your mind, you got to renew it. you got to renew it. I'm done in these last few minutes. But in these next few minutes, start to change your mind right now. That God is about to change you. To me, right now, to kind of capture the gravity of the moment, your whole life can change right now. Because what you experienced at six years old has to die. Because you are conscious and you know that God is going to redeem your mind. And you're going to be set. Here, here's the last one, though. Renew it. Because you got to change the course of your mind. Ephesians 4.23, NLT. i got two versions for you in Ephesians 4.23. NLT says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. I, I know you've been waiting this whole time. How do I do this? I take captive, I do this. The Holy Spirit can renew your mind. Every day getting the Spirit in your walk, asking God to be a part of your thinking. In the Amplified, Ephesians 20, 4.23 says it, and be continually renewed. Woo! Which means it never stops. 
You have to keep fighting. It's time to put up your spiritual fist in the thought life and say, I'm not becoming who I hate anymore. I'm fighting back, but I don't fight for victory. I fight from victory because I know who I am. I got to fight these thoughts in my mind. I got to think differently. I got to think above. Continually, continually renew. You can't stop renewing your mind. Let me just end it with this. Your, your mind, your brain, it doesn't stop thinking. So you don't stop capturing. But here, here listen, listen, listen. You can, you can say, say I, I hope we will, we'll probably end this thing standing because it's my last point for you. Your brain doesn't stop thinking every 10 seconds it rethinks. Again, again. You're stuck on 15 years ago when you had 10 seconds to get over it. Because your brain refires every 10 seconds. And instead of complaining, I'm going to praise every 10 seconds. I'm not going to think about what the devil did to me last year because I got another 10 seconds coming my way. What a moment to have a 10 second praise break right now to let the devil know I'm taking back I'm taking back my mind. Praise right now. Shout right now. 10 seconds. 10, 9, Seven, six, five, four. Every ten seconds, you have an opportunity to choose grace. Every ten seconds, you have an opportunity to change your patterns. Every ten seconds, you have the opportunity to be free. So stop waiting six days to get to Sunday. When you have every 10 seconds, someone say, make up your mind. Someone needs to make up your mind right here, right now, that God is going to be the God, not just of your heart. He's going to be the God of your mind. It's time to take back your mind. Let the Spirit renew it. Holy Spirit, I want you to lift your hands across this place. Holy Spirit, renew us. Holy Spirit, refresh us. God, in our thinking right now, God, we want to become new creations. We don't want to think in old patterns, thinking that we can be who you've called us to be. So right now, we take captive every thought. We capture everything that's not of you. We declare that our minds are overthinking in the detrimental section. It's done with failure. I'm done with fear and depression. Today, God, our minds are focused on things above. It's time to take back your mind. Can we give God praise?